You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. Hi, all. Welcome to a first pilot episode of a new podcast. Ooh, it's new and it's shiny. It's new and shiny. And we have uh, kicked all the men out. Actually, they've kind of abandoned us (laughs) because they're they're busy doing other things. But this gives me an opportunity. My name is Elizabeth. Uh, You'll hear me on Geek's Watch. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm joined by Jessica. Hey, also a member of Geeks Watch. And we are doing a new podcast. Actually, I I had this idea that I really wanted to do, and Jessica is kind enough to be jumping in on this project with me. Kind enough. I absolutely love this project. What are you talking about? This is a dream. So the project in mind is um, a new podcast called that you're now listening to called mm-hmm. The United States of Women. It's <gasps> a fun, fancy title we gave it because we're so clever. Um <laughs> Basically, we're going to be discussing women in U.S. history Mm -hmm. that you don't know very well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a lot of really awesome women in this country that we know more about. Mm -hmm. Clearly, obviously, history is written from a man's perspective, so there's not nearly as much as we would like. Mm -hmm. But we've all heard about... Pocahontas, uh, Susan B. Anthony, Harriet Tubman, Tubman. Uh, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all of these awesome women. Mm -hmm. But the ones we don't know about are all of the smaller ones. And there's tons of them. There Mm -hmm. there are hundreds of them. Yep. So I came to this project because my original degree is in history. That's one of of my undergraduate degrees. I I have this thing about overdoing things. Oh, Um, no, really? (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted an outlet to actually use this history degree um, and all of the research skills that I obtained Mm -hmm. um, to do something a little interesting. And what I discovered, because there are lots of history podcasts out there, and I'm like, there's got to be something different we can do. And what I discovered, you know, listening to all those various podcasts is while lots of them will do episodes on women, particularly like during Women's History Month, Mm -hmm. they don't tend to do them outside of Women's History Month. Like, they're just not. They, They just don't. They don't have like a sole podcast just dedicated for women. And there's so many women in history that y'all don't know about. Yes. So, and there are a few, there's, there's some really awesome ones that, that do focus on women, but they typically focus on a particular subgroup of women. So only female scientists, only female politicians, only female educators, you know, so there, I wanted to do something that's a little more of a cross section Mm-hmm. So we'll be discussing like all sorts of different types. Yes, we will have scientists. Yes, we will have educators. Yes, we will have attorneys and politicians. And But mm-hmm. we're going to be kind of trying to yep. mix and mingle. Mm-hmm. Now, since this is the United States of Women, we are just focusing on the United States. Yeah. There are a ton of other women in Europe. 
maybe for future seasons. But, maybe. but right try. now we're going to focus on just the United States. We're going to focus on just the United States. And hopefully all of you want to be around for a long time because at the moment we are currently hoping to do about 50 seasons. Well, 50 um, states, 50 seasons. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> um, so what we are, the plan is, is to go state by state. Mm-hmm. And we opted to start with Delaware. Um, so we opted, instead of going alphabetically, we opted to start in... The order of ratification. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we have been consuming some wine because that's the fun thing to do when you're talking about amazing women in history is to drink wine and eat cheese. And Um, olives. And (laughs) olives and all those tasty treats. So that is what is occurring. Uh, This podcast is going to be released once a week. So it'll be every Monday. Mm -hmm. um, And it'll be eight episodes a season. So we'll do eight women of Delaware. And then we'll go ahead and move on. Um, So Jessica, what do you know about Delaware? Uh, Not not a ton. I know it's a fairly small state. Um, It apparently was the first state. And I did not know that (laughs) until you told me what we'd be starting with. And I was like, really? Delaware? Delaware's the first state? Like, not Virginia? Not New York City? It's it's Delaware? But all right. That's cool. Um, Yeah. I mean, I love history, but I'm really, like, I don't remember, like, timelines that well or anything else. I'm really excited to learn. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) I am not a names and dates person, so everybody Mm -hmm. bear with me if I, like, have not highlighted or I've mix up dates um i'm doing my best mm-hmm. um but for me history is very much about the story so i'm going to be telling you mm-hmm. a story i'm going to be telling you a story about these awesome women and we'll talk about you know the things that are they're tangentially connected to but the first woman we're talking about is a scientist Alrighty. she is the mother of the stellar spectra stellar spectra that's okay. like a badass name in a sci-fi novel like. right right so we're dealing with astronomy. So, Jessica, you've got a little... Let's face it. Neither one of us are scientists. We should probably have a scientist on this episode, but we don't. So, nope. that's just... We're going to yeah, fumble through. I, I, I did take um, geology and meteorology. Okay. Astrology was never a thing that I totally love, and physics was something that just always went over my head. So, <laughs> fair, fair. So, we are dealing with a woman who actually, like down and dirty knows the physics and she knows it better than basically everybody else well that just makes her amazing to me because <laughs> i'm like what string theory I don't know. yeah yeah so we are gonna be talking about anna annie jump cannon annie cannon annie cannon annie cannon um so she is an awesome awesome lady um and we're gonna be talking about all things that deal with astronomy and stars. So stars in our eyes. Um, Annie Cannon. I'm going to start at the beginning. We're going to probably jump in with what stellar spectra is once we she, get to that point in her life. clearly the heroine of the universe from far away. Ah. That- <laughs> so... Annie Cannon was born in Dover, Delaware. Okay, now Dover Dover. is the second largest city in Delaware. Okay, it's Wilmington and then Dover. So actually most of the women in this season that I've kind of picked out and started researching are from Dover or Wilmington. There are a couple others, but not really. Um, She was born on December 11th, 1863. All right. Okay, so we're height of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. She's born. She is the oldest of three girls, okay, in her okay. family. So relatively small family for the times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
obviously all girls, which definitely kind of throws the dynamics off. Her father was a shipbuilder in Dover. Dover is a huge um, shipping town. It's right on the water. Oh, okay. And he's well-respected enough that he actually is a state senator. So he goes to, you know, he is is the person ratifying, he's... Well, he didn't because it occurred a long time before he was born. But he was the he his position was that which would have ratified the Constitution decades before he existed. But okay. so he's a state senator of Delaware. But it's her mother that incites a keen interest in all things mathematical science. She wanted her to study biology and chemistry and mathematics and physics. She wanted her to like. Dig into all of them. Learn all the things. Learn all the sciencey things. Learn all the sciencey things. So her mom's clearly like very forward thinking. Mm-hmm. She teaches her about the stars. She gets her interested in astronomy. She, you know, encourages look into the universe. Mm-hmm. So Annie grows up just loving the heck out of science. Just absolutely adores it. Um, she. She gets ready to go off to college. Mm -hmm. Very rare for a woman of of the time period. I mean, there are women's colleges, but they're not actually that frequent, particularly the height of the Civil War. Like most people are not going to college. They are joining the war effort. Mm -hmm. But she goes and attends Wellesley College, which Mm -hmm. is one of the oldest all-female colleges that is not actually associated with a male college. So a lot of the female colleges are associated specifically with male colleges. Wellesley is not. Um, It's still in existence today. Still all-female, too? Still all-female. All right. Okay. So she goes to study mathematics and physics under um, another badass of the time. Um, She goes to study under... Sarah Frances Whitting. Okay. Okay. So Sarah Frances Whitting is one of the first female physicists of the time in the U.S. Uh-huh. Like she's she's it. It's an all boys club and Sarah Whitting. That's that, that's it. Go Sarah. Go Sarah. So Sarah is go team go. She takes a real liking to Annie Cannon. They become very close. She mentors her. She tutors her. Mm-hmm. Annie ends up graduating valedictorian with a degree in physics. Ooh. Right? So, like, clearly one smart cookie. Like, seriously smart cookie. After she graduates, she moves back to Delaware, to Dover, to her family home. Okay. Apparently, she contracts scarlet fever. Which was going around at the time right after the Civil War. Exactly. Everybody was bringing it home from the battlefront. Oh, joy, oh, rapture. Um, Not much is known for the next 10 years of Annie's life between um, 1884 and 1893. Um, We know she contracts scarlet fever at Mm -hmm. home. She recovers from it. And we know that she cares for her mother, who eventually dies in 1893 of an unknown illness. They don't tell us best guess probably scarlet fever or something along those lines mm-hmm. if it's um, unknown it could also be cancer too because right. really didn't know a lot about that at the time so she she dies um the interesting piece about the scarlet fever is actually the fact that during this time period usually scarlet fever is contracted by children so the fact that annie caught it was very unusual mm-hmm. um but in any case, she survives it. She decides after her mother's death, she needs a fresh start. She needs to get back to her life. So in 1893, she comes back to Wellesley. 
Okay. She starts working with Whitting. She becomes Whitting's essentially her TA. She becomes her assistant professor. All right. Starts teaching mathematics and basics physics. Um, and she starts taking master's courses at Wellesley. Okay. So during this year, two years, she's doing her thing. She's doing her thing. Whitting introduces her to a gentleman by the name of Edward C. Pickering. 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 Which just makes me think of the Pickering Detective Agency, but that's fine. (laughs) Not the same person. I did double check. Um, So she introduces her to Edward Pickering, who is the director of Harvard College's observatory. Okay. All right. So top of the line. Top of the line. Top end. See, Edward... Or Pickering. I think I'm just going to call him Pickering because I like that name better. So Pickering (laughs) has been spending his career running the Harvard College Observatory. He's a top-end astronomer. But he's got a very kind of old way of thinking about science um, in that essentially theory isn't a thing. Scientific theory isn't really a thing. That kind of upends a lot of stuff here. (laughs) What it is, is it is all just data accumulation. If you accumulate enough data, the theory just kind of falls out, as opposed to taking a theory and testing it. you, You gain the theory by previously collecting data, as opposed to thinking, hmm, maybe this is a thing, and then... Testing you go the out and test that theory. Yeah. You just research and try to find the connections to form your theory. It basically, his thought is, is if I collect enough data, the theory will fall out. <laughs> so That's one way to look at it, I guess. I it's, suppose. It's a thing. All it's right. a thing. Um, but so he convinces the widow of another very prominent physicist Mm -hmm. um, by the name of Henry Draper. Okay. Okay, So Henry Draper had been a huge top-end physicist and, like, amateur astronomer. Like, he dabbled in it. (laughs) And Henry Draper dies, and his widow's got, like, just boatloads of money. Just boatloads of money. So Pickering convinces her in um, 1886 to fund the Henry Draper uh, Memorial Project in at Harvard to obtain the optical spectra of as many stars as possible and to index and classify the stars by their spectra. This is this follows Pickering's concept of like if I just collect all of the data we can figure it out. We'll figure it out. Like it'll just it'll appear. Um, so Oh, I don't know. I don't know why. All I can think of is from the Blues Brothers. Like, I got a sign from God. Only this guy's like, I got a sign from optical spectra. Like, <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm picturing. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. So, anyway, so he's he's got this concept and he starts putting it together. Um, famously, and we'll get into the project's history a little bit, but he basically only hires women. And good. Oh, it, is that a good thing? It's like. So- feels good but like for the time of 1800s i feel like there's something shady behind it like, so it's it's got some some dual intent dual purpose mm-hmm. I, uh, so he's stated to you know it, it's written that he has said um well i prefer to hire women for this project because they are far more detail oriented and diligent and you know patient with the information 
There's also claims that it's just cheaper labor. <laughs> oh, see that that one that one makes more sense. That yeah, because you you could pay women about mm, an eighth of what you paid a man to do the same job. Um, an eighth. Yeah, and a, a quarter to an eighth of what you paid a man to same do right, the same job. What are we at? Like three quarters now? <laughs> Pretty much. Still not quite much. there. <laughs> but we're yeah, we're we're rolling. We're getting we're rolling. We're, um, we're getting up there. We went from an eighth to three quarters. <laughs> yeah. So uh Anyway, so he hires pretty much exclusively women. They become known as the Harvard computers, which this bothers me because, like, it, <laughs> computers are an object. And, like, we continue to classify women as objects. And that really kind of bugs me, like, because it's the same thing as with NASA computers. Like, no, these are women, not computers. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know when they started classifying them as computers because, like... I mean, a computer wasn't a thing till like the 1980s. Yeah, 1980s. So did we get the term? So you're like, did we get the term computer after computers are built? And then historians were like, oh, these women in the past were computers. Computers. Or did the term computer already exist? And then we added it to an object. I don't know. So we'd have to research the etymology. Yeah. Like computer. Let me, let me let me look. Etymology is the right s- word because I kept wanting to say epidemiology. And epidemiology. Epidemiology is not the term. <laughs> no, I believe it's etymology. Let me see. Let me see. I'll look up the history of the word computer. Yeah, that sounds good because I did. I did not. Um, but because it, it was just something that bothered me, so I was like, maybe I just won't call them the Harvard computers. But oh, it is etymology. Yay! Yay! I knew something. <laughs> I'm glad. Okay, I'm glad the first did. attested use of computer in the was in the 1640s, so it came okay. well before actual object computers. How and did it, they, okay. it means one who calculates. Oh. Like, or to compute. So it it is a definition of a person. Okay, so it a computer is more of a profession, I guess, I, or a description of a type of profession? Mm-hmm. As opposed to a secretary, you are a computer. Because uh, yeah. you computate. I, I, I would guess so. I, I mean, that of course, makes have me f- to read a long article on it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me. F- I mean, that makes me feel a lot less bad. Like, because we're not describing the women as objects. Like, it's actually a, a descriptor of a profession. So that's kind of nice. Um, the online, okay, so the online etymology dictionary gives the first attest use of the computer in the 1640s. This is Wikipedia I'm reading, by the way. I, I might try other sources, but um, as meaning one who calculates or, and this is an agent noun for from compute. But it also states that the use of the term is to mean calculating machine of any type is from 1897. So it became okay. a machine thing in 1897. So a calculating machine could be, you mean machines are actually pretty simple things. Like an abacus is kind of sort of considered a machine. A pulley yeah. is considered a machine. Like So really we could be referring to them in a very positive light as one who computates or we could be referring to them as objects. So I'm now very like conflicted, but that's fine. <laughs> anyway, so they're, they're, generally referred to as the Harvard computers. Um, But so it's a team of all women. Mm -hmm. Um, So stellar spectra. So here's my like (laughs) non-science person dissimulation of these very scientific articles that I kept trying to read and I'd have to like look up every third word. Um, Because that's what you do as a historian is you just look up words. Um, (laughs) Because words matter. Um, So stellar spectra. Mm -hmm. 
basically what it does is you take the electromagnetic radiation from a star. So like the the heat sources it puts out, mm-hmm. either through visible light, infrared, x-rays, all those good things. Mm-hmm. And then you put it through a prism or a diffraction. Okay, so if you're thinking prism, you're thinking if you've ever seen the Dark Side of the Moon cover yes. from Pink Floyd, which it's, it's, it's a triangle that um, takes a beam of light and divides it into basically a rainbow of color that you can see, and there's also colors that we can't see, such as ultraviolet on one side and infrared on the other. Exactly. So you take it and you shove the electromagnetic radiation through this prism mm-hmm. um, on a, through photographs is the way that they were doing it. It's, it's very strange. And then based upon where it falls on that spectrum, so how much light is produced, what the wavelength lengths are. I guess blues are really tight wavelengths and mm-hmm. reds are really long. Reds are wave. really long and loose. <laughs> You can then classify the star based on its temperature because blue is very hot mm-hmm. and red's very cool, relatively speaking. I mean, we're still talking like super duper hot, super duper hot, <laughs> but you can tell that and you can, you can tell like the chemical makeup of the surface of the star. And so what the Harvard computers, what Anne Cannon, Annie Cannon ended up leading and mm-hmm. was to take hundreds of thousands of photographs of the stars that had been compiled since the 17th century when telescopes were first invented Mm -hmm. and basically classifying all those stars on this spectra. Okay. Okay. So initially the project was run by Nettie Farrar is her name. Okay. So she first ran it in 1886 when it first got funding, but she left after after a few months. Like it was a real quick in and gone. She left to actually go get married um, because that's a thing um, oh. in this time period. Um, but she was followed up by Wilhelmina Fleming, um, which just makes me think of Ian Fleming and uh, alchemy, but that's fine. Um, so Wilhelmina <laughs> Fleming. So she was the first of the Pickering crew, the Harvard computers, to actually really be recognized by the Astronomical Society. Mm-hmm. So she stayed on for quite a while, and she examined 10,000 stars during her time of leading out, heading the group okay. um, and developed a classification system. So she, she created the first one, but it had 22 classes. That's a lot of classes. It's a lot of classes. Um, her specter was described to be basically like really user friendly, but so hard to learn because there was just mm-hmm. so many classifications and nothing quite fit right. So she eventually also left um, and the work was further carried on by Antonia Murray. Mm-hmm who like basically upended Fleming's whole system, decided she's going to do her own thing because I know it better. Welcome to scientists. Um, so she gets rid of Fleming's ideas and creates her own classification system, which had very few classes. It, it doesn't tell me how many, like I couldn't find how many specifically on hers because hers didn't last very long mm. because it was so cumbersome that nobody could figure it out. Like, it was not a even, little bit too complicated. It was too complicated. She tried to get too many things to fit in one box so it became this like ridiculous system so she then eventually left so we're now back to annie cannon so it's now 1895 Mm -hmm. and she has met pickering and pickering's like hey girl 
I want you to come lead up my project because you seem awesome. So she enrolls in Radcliffe College, okay, which is the sister school to Harvard. So the sister school is basically the all-women school that's tied to the all-male school, which right. basically a lot of sister schools were, yeah, used for, hey, women, go get an education, but it's mainly used for, hey, upper-class women, why don't you go ahead and meet the boys yes. <laughs> that are at the brother school? Um, there's a movie kind of sort of about um, Mona Lisa Smile, I think, really focuses yeah. on that. Is, isn't that Radcliffe, too? I believe so. Yeah. I believe that is. Um, my movie history is not my history. Um, <laughs> but no, uh, so she enrolls in Radcliffe to continue to work on her master's degree. Right. So, she, so she leaves Wellesley. She's going to go continue to work on her master's degree in physics and join the Harvard computers at the Harvard Observatory under Pickering. Okay. So Annie Cannon starts to lead up the project and she comes up with her Stella Spectra, which is actually still the one used today. Wow. Okay? So we're talking from 1894 to 2020. This is okay. how we are categorizing this the stars that we're looking at through right. telescopes over what kind of stars So they are. she comes up with a classification of seven, I think. Yeah, seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Seven. Seven classifications in order from hottest to coolest. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's... O B A F G K M is how they're classified. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there's a mnemonic that gets created with it. And it's. There has to be. Of course. <laughs> and it's O oh, B a fine girl, kiss me. O oh, B a fine girl, kiss me. <laughs> yes. Which is supposedly taken from a song during that time period that, that has that lyric, those lyrics in it. Um, and there's some serious debate as to whether or not Pickering came up with the mnemonic because, like, most of history claims Pickering came up with the mnemonic for his students at Harvard to learn the, the spectra system. Mm -hmm. And then others are like, no, 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 no. Annie Cannon made up with it. Pickering just used it to teach it to I his I feel students. like it'd be significantly better if Annie <laughs> picked it. Right. As I'm, opposed to a guy being like, let's make this about kissing a girl. Like, <laughs> yeah. What will teenage boys remember? Kissing a girl. I mean, um, it is true. But <laughs> so I'm going. I'm going with the Annie Cannon made it up. But um, in any case, so she creates this. Mm -hmm. So she basically takes the best of Fleming's spectra system and the best of Murray's and basically like merges them into this system. So like mm -hmm. she becomes the mother of the stellar spectra. Okay. Um, so she's going to be part of this project until basically she dies. Like for f okay. over 40 years. Mm -hmm. Like she's just, she is here and she is studying stars. Um, so it is first published in 1901 and it first catalogs 1,122 stars. Okay. So, and it's cataloged in the Henry Draper catalog. It's okay. the name of the funding for the project. Like and that's that makes the, the, the widow. The widow. Of Henry Draper. I was just throwing her money around. Throwing her money <laughs> throwing around. Throwing her husband's name on everything. Because, you know, that's that's what you do. That mm -hmm. is what you do. Um, so, not a problem. All, all fine and good. Um, so, the Henry Draper catalog ends up being nine volumes long. Wow. And it classified the spectra for more than 225,000 stars. So I'll end up in this catalog. I'll fit on this spectra. 
perfectly not a problem way to go now is this where you get like the names like like our son is called a yellow dwarf star and a like a blue star and a white dwarf and correct and, and all that okay so those are the common names for these classifications within within the categories uh-huh. okay um so it was I mean, and like she was pretty much as soon as she like put this together and put out the first publication, like I was like, oh, my God, this makes so much sense. We got like it. everybody's like everybody in the astronomical community is like, uh, yes, please. Mm-hmm. More of that. This sounds great. Yep. Um, so she began working on it and she she kept working on it. She kept working on it. Um, she ends up. Um, at one point, so in. In the early 1900s, she Pickering loves what she's doing. She, she he loves. He's like, yes, go Annie, go. You're mm-hmm. doing you're doing great. So he actually asks the president of Harvard to appoint formally appoint her as the head of the um, Harvard Obs- College Observatory's photographical library. So this is where they keep all of the photographs of all the stars that get taken from like the beginning of telescopes. Okay. So like all sorts of things. Um, because it's basically what she's doing and in running this project is she's running that library. Anyway, just might as well give her an official yeah. position with it. So the uh, president of Harvard's like, eh, no, uh, not going <laughs> to happen. Not going to happen. Alrighty then. <laughs> Pickering, you were the dean of that, that observatory. Like you're the director. You can certainly informally appoint her. Informally. Yes. We're not going to give her a formal Harvard title. Like, she can't be an official professor. But, like, if you want to informally appoint her, go ahead. But but I guess she did put Harvard's observatory name on the map with their classification system. So maybe she should have, I don't know, something. (laughs) I mean, right. That's that's kind of that's kind of the thing. But that's that's not the thing. Mm. So, um. I mean, and, like, her system, like, basically made astronomy what it is. Like, <laughs> so, in any case, she, she's, like, fine. That's whatever. Like, men are I'm, idiots. I'm a woman in the 1800s. This yeah. is just This is the thing that how it goes. <laughs> so, she accepts the informal position. Okay. And she continues to do all this work. And she continues to, like, be a badass. So then she receives a whole bunch of awards in the early 1900s. Like just finally people are like, you know what? Yeah, no, she, she she's she's pretty cool. She's cool. <laughs> she receives a ridiculous amount of honorary degrees from all sorts of colleges across the country like Yale and and all those all those places. They just start handing her honorary degrees like you want a degree from here, take it. You want a degree from here, take it. <laughs> the biggest one though is she becomes the First female to receive an honorary doctorate from the University of Oxford in England in 1925. Oh, wow. So she this, she's the first person, first female to receive an honorary degree. She then receives the Henry Draper Medal of the National Academy of Sciences in 1931. Again, like I was saying, Henry Draper's what is like throwing money all over the freaking place. She's like, you get an award and you get you get funding and you get funding. Everybody gets funding. Um, just, so she just put my husband's name on it. Right. Got it. So 
Annie becomes the recipient of that award. She then also becomes the first woman to become an officer of the American Astron- Astronomical Society. Okay. Okay. So it's a room full of men and Annie's like coming in like, nope, mine. <laughs> You'll do it my way. Um, so she's the first officer. And then in 1933, she establishes the that same organization, the American Astronomical Society's Annie Jump Cannon Award. Which so she establishes her own award. Uh-huh. So she established, she's like, she's like, no, 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 I'm a, enough of a badass that I'm going to have an award named after me. So okay. she establishes it. Um, and it's for North American female astronomers who, within the first five years of receiving their doctorate, it distinguished themselves in their contribution to astronomy. Okay. Okay. So she's now created her own award. She's getting degrees from all over the place. So finally... Finally, 1938, okay? She's gotten an honorary doctorate from Oxford. Mm-hmm. She's been an officer of the National Society. Mm-hmm. She's gotten her own award named after her. Finally, 1938, Harvard's like, okay, you know what? We'll make you a legitimate professor. Oh, now? <laughs> oh, okay. Now, now we will make you a legitimate professor. She was appointed to the Harvard faculty, and she was named the William Cranch Bond Professor of Astronomy. So, because they can't give her her real name. Mm -hmm. Um, But finally, after over 40 years of service to Harvard and all of this amazing stuff, she finally gets to be an official Harvard professor. So, she finally retires in 1940. That wasn't Um, long after she became a professor. Yeah. So, only two years. (laughs) But she continued to do research up until she died a year later on April 13th, 1941. Um, So over 40 years, dedication to the science of astronomy, a badass physicist, and a woman with no bounds. Mm -hmm. Um, That is the story of Annie Jump Cannon. So she never married, never has kids. Because it was just easier at that time, it sounds like. There's no indication that like she just hated kids or anything like that. She just didn't want them. Well, um, it seemed to be at the time of her, what people would call her prime, that she was pretty busy like taking care of her mother who was dying and stuff like that. So she exactly. might have sort of missed that gap to be able to get married. Because unfortunately, there, in, during that time, there was a period in a woman's life in which you can get married within these years. And if you miss these years... You're host. Yeah, you're pretty much host. You're- but clearly she did not have a problem finding something to fill her time with. <laughs> I mean, who needs to get married, though, when right. you can have an award named after you? Exactly. Which is the- an award still going on today. Yes. I see. Yes. So it is. It's it's awesome. So that is our very first United woman, um, United States woman, Annie mm. Jump Cannon. Annie Jump Cannon. Um, of Dover, Delaware, and professor at Harvard. Um, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. It looks like she may have been the very first female to be a professor at Harvard, to be awarded that title. Oh, okay. Um, if she is not the first, she is one of the first. Somebody out there can probably fact check me a little bit better because um, that was kind of one of those last minute, like, I should look that up because I it didn't say it specifically in any of the articles when I was researching about her. 
Do you think you think it would have said it though? So there must be another one. Maybe right? around the same time though. Maybe it kind of overlapped. They may have overlapped. So, or just nobody thinks about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of citations for this, so I I started with uh, Wikipedia um, because it's just a good place to start. It really is a good place to start. You're going to be told during high school, especially, don't ever use Wikipedia. You go to Wikipedia. And then you go down to the bottom to the sources. Yeah. And then that's where you want to start. I mean, use it to get a kind of a summary, mm-hmm. but but definitely like don't quote Wikipedia as your source. No. Look at those sources that Wikipedia will show you and yes. that's where you want to start. It, you can yeah. use them on papers. But <laughs> I, I do, you know, I that is where I start because that usually just give me a good like mm-hmm. overhead and direction of where to look. Yeah. Um, and then I got a fair amount from the Britannica Encyclopedia insert about anti-jump cannon i feel like i used to own some britannica encyclopedias (laughs) probably but i i use the online version these days it's just Mm. easier to to search through um but then most of my most of this discussion this story actually was done by a really awesome article um titled anti-jump cannon by Lindsay smith it's just self-published on wordpress but thank you Lindsay smith for doing all of the hard legwork for me and summarizing Mm -hmm. all of the various uh, articles and things that I kind of found all over Google, but Lindsay Smith just did a really good job of shrinking it down to something that was understandable, particularly for a non-sciencey person like me. <laughs> like, there's all these scientific journals that like reference Annie Jim Cannon, and I'm like, I, I don't know what you're trying to tell me. <laughs> I'm sure it's really important and really awesome, but I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so, so thank you, Lindsay Smith. Um, but yeah, so that is Annie Jim Cannon. Annie Jump Cannon. All right. Professor of Harvard. Professor. And categorist, categorized, categorist of stars. Right? Yeah. We're, we're drinking Mo- wine, guys. We're drinking wine. Okay. Mother of stellar spectra. Stellar spectra. The savior of the universe. <laughs> I'm serious. You really do have to name a character I'm after got, this. Got, a novel idea is coming. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So, Okay. If you have anything that you'd like to add about Annie Jump Cannon or any corrections, if there's maybe like I missed something in the fact checks, like mm-hmm. I am fallible and I'm very clear that particularly when it comes to history and less known history, the information is all over the place. So mm-hmm. I do my best. But if you've got a source that I missed, by all means, please do share it with us. Um or if you have an idea as we get ready to go move on to other states, if you have somebody you really think I need to look into. By all means, please do share. Always mm-hmm. looking for great ideas. Uh, but if you'd like to reach out to us, Jessica, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at JMBaileyWrites. Perfect. And you can find me um, through the Geek Elite Media Network. Uh, so Geek Elite Media on Twitter is at Geek Elite Media. It's also at Geek Elite Media on Instagram. And on Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. You can email us at United States of Women at Geek Elite Media.com or check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts from our network at on our website, geekelitemedia.com. But until next time, this is United States of Women on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always to remember to geek geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.